Father, we come before you now and before the presence of your word and with each other that we may hear from you. I pray that, Lord, my opinion may be not set forth in this place, but that only your truth may be communicated with clarity, with conviction, and for transformation. So God, illuminate our minds for understanding and soften, our ground, soften the ground of our hearts for reception. You are our life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're looking at Genesis 3 again. And last week, we were talking about uh, the fall and alienation. And I defined alienation to be not only this separation or isolation from each other, but being separated and isolated when we should belong to each other, when we should be united, and that how that is different from each other. And so um, we talked about that, and then we also talked about language, how important language is in Genesis 3, the language that the serpent uses, the language that uh, Eve responds with the language that God uses to Adam and the language that Adam uses to God and and Eve to the serpent. Um, language is very important. We saw that having, even though they shared one language, they weren't united, right? So speaking the same language isn't necessarily unity and it, it doesn't necessarily reveal unity. And we also saw how half-truths and deception played a role in the deterioration of the relationship between God and man, right? And we also saw how slander, the serpent used slander against God's character and how that causes division. We also saw the role of uh, addition um, when um, language that adds to the truth of what has been revealed before in relationship, in a relationship, when you add to something that wasn't necessarily there to begin with, that also uh, contributes to division and to uh, a breaking of relationship. And also, lastly, we saw blame, how blame also uh, plays a significant role in, in uh, not only revealing the brokenness of your relationship, but also it contributes to it. So today, um, last week we looked at language. Today, what we're going to look at is the role of knowledge because knowledge plays a significant role here in Genesis 3. And when it comes to Genesis 3, you know, just like the serpent accused God of being this person who wanted control, who wanted to manipulate Adam and Eve so that um, he can keep them under uh, a certain system so that they would never get to the place of challenging him and how the serpent, when he slandered God's character, he was attacking the fact that God was keeping something from them, right? And so knowledge plays a key role here. And we tend to look at um, uh, um, knowledge in this way when it comes to the Bible. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we consider... When, we, when a person is shaped by the Bible, 
And the Bible informs how the person thinks, how he feels, um, how he plans, and the decisions that he makes in life. We, we sometimes see it from a secular point of view. We see it as something that's naive, that's kind of backward, a little bit ha uh, having tunnel vision, uh, maybe being too idealistic and not realistic enough. And although there are errors that people can take when it comes to how they interact with God's word and the Bible, um, knowing God's word and being shaped by God's word uh, in of itself is not naivete, nor is it inherently a sort of tunnel vision, because that argument can be made for any kind of um, relying upon any source of knowledge, whether it's your parents, whether it's your books, your college education, your, your life experience. Those are all uh, sources, kinds of knowledge, sources of knowledge. So in Genesis 3, knowledge plays a big role. And there are two things that are pitted against each other in Genesis 3. It's either it's knowledge either through God's word or knowledge through the tree of knowledge. So we see that there's knowledge that Adam and Eve gain by what God has said and what God has revealed versus the knowledge that they can that they can get by specifically going against what God said and taking knowledge from the tree, from the tree of knowledge that supposedly going to grant them this special knowledge. And so when we look at how the serpent says, well, you can gain this knowledge by eating from this tree that God told you not to eat from, we already see, as we talked about last time, the us versus them mindset that's beginning. So the us versus them mindset is is shown not only in the language that that was used by all the parties involved in Genesis 3, but we also see an us versus them mindset when it comes to um, uh, how each party understands knowledge. And here's the thing, when we think about knowledge and the tree of knowledge and Adam and Eve not eating from that tree, but and after eating it, they, they started to gain this new knowledge, this is much more, the issue here is much more than just knowing good and evil, right? God said, the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge, you shall surely die. The serpent says, no, that's not true. You will not surely die when you eat of the tree of knowledge. God already knows that when you eat of that tree, that you're going to know good and evil and be like God. And so in one sense, it was true. In one sense, it wasn't. We talked about that with half-truths. But here's the thing. When it comes to knowledge, when Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge and ate of that fruit, it wasn't just about knowing good and evil, but it was about to know good and evil like God, right? And that's a subtle difference, but it's a very important difference. It wasn't just when they took of that tree of knowledge, it wasn't just about knowing good and evil, because if you think about it, and if you read Genesis uh, 2 again, and if you read Genesis 3, God told them, God already revealed to them what was good and what was evil. So it wasn't that they didn't know good and evil. The issue was they didn't know good and evil like God knows, like God knows it. That was the issue. Because Adam and Eve already knew what was good, what was good. God told them 
he revealed to them. His word was, be fruitful and multiply, right? And he also said, um, they, are, they also not only knew what was good, he also said, uh, you can eat of any tree in the, in the Garden of Eden. So they could eat of any tree. They could also, they were, they were called to tend the garden, to work the garden, right? He, they also knew what was evil. He, God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge. So they not only knew what was good, they also knew what was evil. And that was through God's word to them. That was through what God said to them. And what Adam and Eve didn't know was what good and evil was like God, right? And so what the serpent was trying to get them to do, uh, which they ultimately did, and what the tree of knowledge um, gave them was they knew good and evil like God. And so the issue is, the issue is not really about knowledge. The issue is about power, control and power. Because if it was just about knowledge, they already knew good and evil, like I said, but because they wanted to know good and evil like God, they wanted the kind of knowledge that would grant them some sort of positioning like like God was positioned. So it's not about mere knowing, it's about knowing in such a way that gives humanity control and power, right? And when Adam and Eve chose to know good and evil through the tree of knowledge and not through what God said to them, what they were choosing was they were choosing not just information because they had that, they were choosing power over a relationship and they were willing to cut ties with God with the relationship and the way things that the way that God established that relationship from the beginning they were willing to cut ties of that relationship in order to have that power so it's not so it's very important to understand what's happening in Genesis 3 is not just about gaining some new knowledge or information but it's about gaining power, the kind of knowledge that gives you power, right? I'll give you an example, and I'm going to share my screen with you. So this whole series is about um, seeing race from grace. And I'll give you an example where knowledge and power is connected. What you're seeing in front of you is a Bible. This is a Bible that... Um, was made in 1807 and let me see if I can zoom in here hopefully I can I hope all of you can see that um, and if you look on the left side of the page where there's this uh, there's this strong line there uh, that's the end of Genesis and then that's the last verse, that verse 28, where it says, And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. That's, that's Genesis. That's after Joseph became, you know, second in command in Egypt. And, um, you know, Israel's going to see Joseph, right? That's toward the end of Genesis. But the thing is, 
that's not that's that's Genesis and I could be wrong with the number but that's Genesis 45 there are more chapters in Genesis than 45 chapters and look at where Exodus starts Exodus starts on chapter 19 so this Bible if you look at it the way it was made it ends on Genesis 45 and then it goes to Exodus 19. Now, those of you who know your Old Testament, do you know what happens between Genesis 46 and Exodus, up to Exodus chapter 18? What happens is um, the Hebrews become enslaved and they gain freedom by the miraculous working of God through Moses and the miracles that God um, did. That's that part, and that's been taken out. Now, this Bible that's been printed in 1807, this is called the Slave Bible. And the preface actually says it's a holy Bible used for Negro slaves. That's, that's in, like... One of the first pages of this Bible, I, I, you can Google it. You have something in front. You have, we're all in front of devices, right? But this Bible was actually used by missionaries to convert slaves. And because they were, they, they were committed to people who didn't believe in Jesus, they were committed to the... To them but beginning to believe in Jesus but they also were committed to um, retaining the system of slavery in that day this Bible was made with many part and not just this part of the Bible but many parts of the Bible uh, being taken out and the reason why I'm showing you this is because this is a perfect example where knowledge is leveraged for power, right? You'd leverage knowledge for power, right? Um, when Adam and Eve, when they took of that tree, it wasn't just about, I just want to know more. I just want to grow intellectually. It was about, I want to have the kind of knowledge that will take me outside of the authority of God, okay? And be and be my own master, right? And this Bible was made because people could not submit to the authority of God as it is revealed. And so they took out parts of scripture in order to perpetuate the lifestyle and the systems that they wanted to establish and to continue that's what's happening what happened in genesis 3 also happened in 1807 and it also happens today in 2020 you know this is a this bible is a physical example of the the common problem of us wanting to get out of the authority of god and becoming god ourselves the problem of Genesis 3 is was the problem is the problem of this Bible 
And it's our problem today as well, because we may not have published our own Bible with like chapters and portions of the Bible, you know, left out of our, of our lives and our communication, our language, our knowledge, our relationship circles. But that's exactly what we do. We actually, we do the same thing. We leave parts out that we don't agree with or we, that don't perpetuate the systems that are desirable to us. And we highlight and we communicate and we, we, we um, allow these principles and these, uh, the, the truths that we can agree with, that we're comfortable agreeing with. We allow only those things to define and inform and to uh, shape our relationships with our, with our family, with our friends, with our work circles at school, in our city and neighborhood, in our vocational life, right? Um, we allow all of that and we're silent on the stuff that God talks about, but we kind of leave it out. We leave it out as, not, as, as in not being part of the Bible. And we can condemn these people for creating a slave Bible that leaves out all, all the aspects of slavery and freedom, but includes uh, the passages in scripture that actually seem to justify slavery, which it doesn't. We could do that. Um, and it's to uphold those systems that are in place to make our lives better according to what we feel is good about life and what we feel is evil about life. Do you see the tree of knowledge when when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, instead of submitting to the to the system of good and evil that God had set up in creation, they were creating their own system and using what God had provided to be a good thing, right? This tree of knowledge is not evil. It was a good thing that God made. He put it in the midst of the garden. It was, it was not meant for food. It was meant to reveal his glory and his beauty and who he was. We take what God uh, has given us. We repurpose it and we change it. We leave stuff out. We add stuff in and we create our own standard our own system of what is good and what is evil defined by us, right? And this is the interesting thing, is that, and I'm, I'm, I'm showing you that this is a systemic problem because what, what was happening, okay? Now remember, it was missionaries who, who use this Bible to convert slaves to Christianity. So if, you're, if our Christianity, and I was, I was part of this too, if our Christianity is just about getting saved um, and then going to heaven, if it's just about ourselves, that same thing was happening when this Bible was published and when these missionaries were using this Bible to convert slaves to Christianity without addressing the problem of slavery that the Bible itself addresses, right? So the, if your Christianity has been defined in such a way that Christianity is essentially you individualistically believing in Jesus Christ, 
so that you individualistically can go to heaven, a place where there is no more suffering for you, okay? If that's the Christianity that you grew up with, that you know you you subscribe to, um, it's not an accusation, accusation, but I'm trying to reveal to you where that's coming from. Part of that is coming from this kind of um, gospel, this kind of preaching, this kind of evangelizing, this kind of discipleship, that your belief in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with the rest of your life. It doesn't have to do with the systems that are in place in your life, the economic systems that are in place, right? So they were, these missionaries were teaching the slaves that you can be a Christian and you should believe in Jesus Christ, but it has nothing to do with your enslavement. And it has nothing to do with the country's approval, the government's approval of your enslavement. This is totally separate from that. And you see, if your Christianity has been defined to be a Christianity that's completely separated from the work that you do, the way you are with your family, your plans for life, all of life, the people in your life, the place in your life, the financial provision that you have, uh, your purpose in life, if it's just this separated thing, this is part of where it comes from. Um, I'm not saying that our Christianity is defined by the slave Bible, but this Bible, this version, right? I'm not going to even say it's a version. This is not even the Bible, okay? This book that is called the slave Bible, this is a physical example of that and it's about power it's about control it's about i want to be god i want to i want to know good and evil like god i want to be able to say this is what's really good and this is what's really evil apart from god apart from what god has said apart from his word this is what i say right so that's that's how knowledge plays a role in Genesis 3. It played a role in 1807. It plays a role uh, today in 2020 where it's not just about knowledge. It's about control and power, right? And we do that ourselves. The reason why we're selective with God and we spend time on the passages that we like, okay? And we don't, we don't address the passages that make us uncomfortable and that challenge us and we just want to be supported by the bible but we never want to be challenged that's what we're that's what it's about it's not about knowledge and it's not about faith it's not about relationship it's about power and control over my life right um so that is what's happening there and it's a systemic problem because this kind of thinking leads to the kind of Christianity that maybe some of you grew up with. I grew up with that. Christianity was an individual thing. It was my belief. I'm trying to get to heaven. I need to be saved. It was never about reforming uh, the city or making, making the broken systems contributing in such a way that the broken systems will be redeemed and will be healed and will will have a more and we'll have a better system that reflects the goodness and the kindness and the love of God and the power of God and the purity and the incorruptibleness of God. Um, it was just about me and me getting to heaven and leaving the world behind, not really care, 
anything about politics or economics or um, whatever uh, industry in the world. It was just about me. And that's where it comes from. It's this kind of mindset that I just want some control over my life and I don't really have the bandwidth to care about the systems of the world that are broken. And you see, where this comes from is in Genesis 3, it comes from the alienation that we're, I'm trying to, that I'm, I'm telling you about. And nakedness in Genesis 3 plays an, an interesting role in that. You see, when you think about nakedness, um, it has, a, it has a direct connection with knowledge in Genesis 3. The moment they knew, like God, knowledge, the kind of knowledge that, that seems to grant you more control and power, is directly, it's directly connected to nakedness. Because nakedness, in another way, nakedness, you could think about it as, as a physical nakedness. You could also think about it as metaphorical, right? Where you're vulnerable, where you're open, where you're, uh, you have your cards all laid out, right? Um, but if you think about that, if you want the kind of knowledge that gives you more control and power, you are you will be less willing to be naked metaphorically with people. Okay? The more control and power that you want, right? Through whatever knowledge whatever knowledge you can leverage, the less transparent you will be, the less willing to show all your cards the less willing um uh the the more willing you'll you'll be hide you'll be willing to hide and if something goes wrong the knee-jerk reaction is not repentance and coming before god and and lamenting your sin and your brokenness but the knee-jerk reaction is blaming blaming each other right blaming someone else right and that's what Genesis 3 shows us, right? After they try to get this knowledge to leverage for themselves control and power, they realized they were naked. And they were naked all along. What, what changed? It's the nakedness before they ate of the tree was, was, was a state of innocence and relationship, right? Think about it. Physical nakedness, right? Literal nakedness. When you're in an intimate relationship with someone, there's innocence there. There's nothing. There's nothing um, uh, subversive about it. Uh, when you are physically naked with someone that um, in your family, right? This is well, husband and wife, right? Parent and very young child, right? It's a state of innocence, right? There is no hiding. You're not hiding, right? You're not. You're not fearful. You're not blaming. Uh, there's intimacy, there's trust, there's trust. Being naked is like, it's, it's a state of authenticity. You have nothing to hide, right? You see everything. <laughs> Don't take that, all right? Uh, a truth to be, you're sharing a truth of yourself with someone else, right? Think of a, think of a baby. A baby running around doesn't really care. It, it, it doesn't need to have a diaper. A baby doesn't need to have a diaper. It'll run around naked. I don't care about any why because there it's a state of innocence but it also there's a certain level of trust and relationship with the people right out and as adults especially that becomes more apparent and more intentional uh the person you are physically naked with your spouse right uh your husband or wife there is that very intentional intimacy and trust and authenticity and and respect for each other 
um, and there is a it's in the context of a relationship now what is nakedness outside of the relationship nakedness outside of a relationship a safe loving relationship what it means is is, is exposure you're vulnerable to harm and attack you're when you're naked outside of a relationship you're a spectacle for people whoever see whoever's seeing you for people to to behold you at your expense they're amused they're intent to entertain whatever at your expense and there's a division there's a stark division between you who is naked and the others who are not and who are watching you right um that's what nakedness is outside of a relationship right it's it's there's a there's a, a very distinct divide between the self and the other right but within the context of relationship nakedness is a union it's intimacy it's a relationship uh, of trust and authenticity authenticity right so that's that's how this all plays a role um and when we talk about alienation and the role of knowledge that the kind of knowledge that leverages power we're talking about alienation between god and human beings first of all right when you're when you're when you're more willing to leverage whatever knowledge you can have um in order to have more control and power and uh and be able to uh, define for yourself what is good and what is evil outside of God's authority. Um, what's already happened is that you've been alienated from God. There's a hiding from God. There's a fearfulness to God. Um, you're no longer, you can't think the way God thinks. You don't get God. And you feel like God doesn't get you, right? You blame God for things that go wrong in your life. Like Adam blamed God, right? He's like, God this all happened because of the woman that you gave me right um they're no longer united eternally right and um any kind of union that you can forge with someone because of that alienation will only be temporary and conditional at best at best but as soon as something goes wrong it's gone there's no relationship it's all broken it's as if it never happened sometimes if it's messy enough it's even worse right uh, there's not only alienation between God and humanity, but between human beings. Adam blames his wife, Eve. She experiences pain and childbearing, right? That's between Eve and the child, right? That's an alienation between human beings. Adam blames his wife, alienation between husband and wife. Eve is not united with her husband any, anymore. And Adam begins to rule over Eve. There is no ruling of Adam over Eve before the fall. And it happens after the fall. It's after this desire to leverage knowledge for power and control that Adam now has this tendency to to dominate Eve, to control Eve, to um, um, to exercise his own self power, not the governance of God, but his own governance over Eve, right? And then um, and you see that explode within the me too movement um between there's not only an alienation between human beings there's an alienation between humanity and creation that's you with the natural world right eve blames the serpent there's enmity between eve and the serpent if you look in verse 15 the ground itself is cursed okay 
if you think that you 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 try a lot in this world to try to do something if you've ever done any kind of project and you were faced with frustration if you attempted anything in life and you were faced with frustration and it's nobody's fault it's just the way the the world is at the moment what you're experiencing is alienation from creation there's pain in working now that ultimately leads to death you work all your life until you die right and that's why many of us we want to work so that we can spend a few years uh, not working before we die, right? There's that pain in working. We That's an alienation that has happened between you and the natural world. And not only that, but there's an alienation that happens between non-human members of creation with each other. And what we see here in verse 14 is that the serpent is cursed above all creatures, right? So the people aren't even involved there. You have the serpent that's cursed above all creatures. And what you see is that even the world itself there, there is there's an alienation, there's separation and isolation from each other. And there's harm and um, there's conflict, there's um, a disharmony, even within creation itself, right? And that's the kind of alienation that we, that we experience day to day. So the alienation, the division, the separation that we experience is not just a personal issue. There was actually... Um, an article recently, I forget if it was today or yesterday, uh, on NPR, and they said multi-ethnic churches actually don't contribute to uh, racial unity and reconciliation, racial reconciliation. And that may, that, that may sound broad brushing, and in one sense it is, but the point of that article was that uh, some multi-ethnic churches, some are doing it well, but some multi-ethnic churches, so what it was saying is, the mere fact of being multi-ethnic will not cause you to be a contributor towards racial reconciliation. And, what's, and the reason that they gave was that it's because even within those multi-ethnic churches where you see where the optics seem to be multi-ethnic, um, uh, they still treat um, that alienation that racial alienation as a as merely a personal problem and not a systemic problem right and that's why I wanted I wanted to show you that alienation from scripture shows and you know these things kind of this the slave bible I showed you this article and, and uh, this research done um, that was um, reported on NPR these things show that ultimately this is deeper than just personal choices you making personal better choices is not going to, is not enough to fix this problem, right? And you can take the, you can, you can take the approach, well, we can't fix it anyway, so why bother? So I won't, I'll just, what you're doing is, if, if you feel like, well, it's a systemic problem, it's bigger than me, and my personal choices can't affect it, so why bother with it? I'm just going to make sure that, you know, I try to live a happy life for myself. You know what's happening? That response, you're contributing to the cycle of that systemic problem. By that natural self-survival, self-preserving response, it's, you're contributing, you're, you're just, you're in the cycle, right? And you think you're making free choices when you're not. You're just, you're a piece that contributes to the problem, the systemic problem still. 
And ignoring it is not going to do anything. And pretending like it's just a personal problem is not going to do anything either. Right? And it's interesting because that's exactly what the slave Bible was used for. It was used to just highlight and emphasize a personal relationship with God without the healing of your relationship with God and creation and the, the systems that God has placed in the world, right? And that's what's necessary. Here's the hope, okay? And I'm going to end with this. Here's the hope. By the end of this chapter, God made garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. So after all of the relationship was broken, Adam and Eve, they, they, they were like, okay, we're going to try. Uh, this knowledge seems to be great. Wow, we can, it's not just, we can have the kind of knowledge where we can be like God. We can be our own gods with, and, you know, God's there, but we can be our own gods as well. That kind of um, rebellion and breaking and disregarding of God's covenant, his relationship of love with humanity that did not prevent God from still loving Adam and Eve afterwards which he showed and those of you who have the love language of acts of service right it's going to resonate with you God made garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve okay this is an act this is one of God's love languages to uh, as an act of service to humanity God's character is vindicated via experience after the serpent attacked God and his character, saying, he doesn't care about you. All he cares about is control and power. The reason why he's not letting you eat of that tree of knowledge is because he wants you under control, right? He doesn't care about you. What's interesting is by the end, when, when, the, when, when Adam and Eve have fell, and they have sinned against God. And now the, not only their personal lives, but the entire world and all the systems in the world are ruined for life. Okay? The serpent is nowhere. He's, the role of the serpent, the serpent doesn't even play a role in the narrative anymore. It's just gone. After God judges him, he's not even mentioned. But you know who's there? You know who's still there after... Adam and Eve just ruined everything. God is still there. And he's clothing them. He's covering them. It's one thing to experience the kindness of someone before the crap hits the fan. It's another thing to experience someone's kindness after everything hits the fan. And everything goes wrong that could go wrong. And they're still kind to you. And they still show love to you. And they're present with you. It's two very different things. And this is exactly who God is. And this act of clothing Adam and Eve is a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do for humanity. When through his blood, he covers us. He covers our sin and washes it away. That's the hope. That's the knowledge that Adam and Eve, that through Adam and Eve, even though it was a very evil thing that happened and it ruined all of our lives, okay? 
It ruined all of our systems in the world. Okay? It was through that moment and through God making garments of skin and clothing Adam and Eve and that being a foretelling of what of God the Father sending Jesus the Son, right? Who would also be slain. His blood would be shed so that we who are sinners, we who are rebellious, we who leveraged knowledge in order to have control and power, right? Outside of God. That shows that God's kindness to us, the knowledge that we have with God, the experience of that knowledge is a relational one that includes all people and all of creation. And that's why Christianity can't just be about you feeling good because you sang a song, because you heard a prayer, because you heard a sermon, and then you moving forward with your life. And one day you're going to go to heaven while the whole world rots. Like, that is not, that's terrible Christianity. The kind of experience we need, that the world needs from Christians, is the kind of Christianity that there's not merely just a healing, a personal healing between you and God. It has to start with that. But it can't just be that. There needs to be a systemic healing that happens. And that's why you're working. You're not working so that one day you could stop working for yourself and then enjoy yourself forever. You're working because God has called you to bring healing. The healing that you have with God, he's called you in all of your industries, in all of your vocations and jobs to bring that healing to those economic places of work. Because the message of Christianity, the gospel, the, the reason why the gospel is good news is because it's not just some, some knowledge for you and yourself. It's a knowledge for the world. The kind of knowledge that doesn't try to dethrone God, but actually makes makes place for God so that he can rightfully take his place as king of kings over all people and over all systems. And that's why you work. That's why we work. And I just want to, I want to say to you that the, the, the more we the more we believe and give in to the lie that we can leverage our knowledge from high school to college to whatever training we're getting right now. We can leverage that so that we can have more control and power over our lives. The more we believe that lie, the more we will perpetuate the systemic problems that are here in our, in our world today. We are part of that problem, whether we acknowledge that or not, just by subscribing to that philosophy of life, that worldview. God is, God's plans are bigger than that. He wants the whole world healed, not just 
the 20 somewhat, 30 somewhat, 40 somewhat years you have left in life. He wants the whole world healed. God, God's plans are huge. And I pray that all of us can have bigger dreams. That we can dream bigger. Because our God is bigger. That our dreams will include not just ourselves, our older selves, but that it will include all of creation. Because that's the plan of God. And it was that plan from the beginning. And it's only through Christ that we will see that happen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to look through Genesis 3. Father, I pray that you would grant us knowledge of you. One that is relational. One that is satiated by your presence, by your love and kindness to us. And that, Lord, our faith may not just be a message of self-happiness, but that it may be a, a happiness that the whole of creation can experience. Lord, you have called us to different parts of the world, to different industries of the world. I pray that you reveal to us why we are where we are. Whatever company we're with, whoever, whatever people groups we are with, Lord, that we would go out and that we would bring the peace of God to all of creation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of our Heavenly Father God and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit be upon every soul who desires to live lives renewed, not alienated, but united to Christ. Not only with oneself, but with the entire world. May it be upon them both now and forever. Amen. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Um,